Hello and welcome to Grapevine. This is volume 41, number 12, for week ending Friday the 26th of March 2021. Brought to you by the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association, this week's news includes our usual Covid roundup, how the council is intending to spend £20 million worth of grant money, the retirement of Norfolk's Chief of Police and a little piece of Jamaica on Gorston's Bells Road. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter. And joining me is Margaret, your newsreader for the week, who, as usual, also takes a look at an old Mercury. Off we go then with the first part of the news. Hello, everybody. I'm Margaret, and I'm bringing you this week's news and meandering through the Mercury of years gone by, and I'm revisiting March 1962. Well, what a strange week it's been. Tuesday we all took time to reflect on what has happened in this past year and I hope and pray we never see another year like it. But we do have something to look forward to, besides the vaccine that is. British summertime begins on Sunday, March the 28th. So when you go to bed on Saturday night, don't forget to put your clocks forward. We've had a couple of nice days weather-wise this week and I've sat out in the garden listening to the birds sing and feeling the sun shine on my face. How bliss and joy, the small things that give you pleasure these days. So, if you're sitting comfortably, I'll begin with the first part of the news. Covid shielding for 63,000 people in Norfolk to end. Coronavirus shielding for 63,000 extremely vulnerable people in Norfolk comes to an end next week, with council bosses keen to stress support is available. In January, people considered to be at very high risk of serious illness from COVID-19 were advised by the government to stay at home. The group included people having treatment for cancer, people with severe lung conditions or chronic kidney disease and those who've had organ transplants. In February, almost 2 million more people were added to the list based on clinical judgment of their doctors. But they are no longer advised to shield after Wednesday, March the 31st. Although Jenny Harries, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for England, has said they should continue to take extra precautions such as continuing to observe social distancing and working from home. Norfolk County Council said anyone who has been shielding who has not had a vaccination should contact their GP. And Kerry Sumner, the County Council's Director of Community Information and Learning, said, We want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has been shielding, as you have helped to protect yourself, others and the NHS and a thank you to the groups and volunteers who have supported them. We know for many this will be a huge relief, but also understand that for some there will be feelings of anxiety and a lack of confidence in returning to work or starting to venture out again. Feelings of anxiety are normal and to be expected, but there are things you can do that will help, such as focusing on the things you can control complying with physical distancing, 
wearing face coverings, regular hand washing and getting back to the things you enjoy first. Due to the challenges that some people may face coming out of shielding, we also want to remind residents that help and support is still available and you are not alone. She said people could find out more about support at www.norfolk.gov.uk or by calling 0344-800-8020. Police urge Norfolk people to be sensible as COVID lockdown eases. Police have urged people to be sensible and cautious amid fears Norfolk's coastal communities could be swamped when coronavirus lockdown is eased next week. But Norfolk Police have said the change away from the stay at home message means they will not be in a position to issue fines purely because people are out and about. And Norfolk County Council leader Andrew Proctor said it would be a disaster if COVID rates in the county were to rise because masses of people congregated on beaches. While police will have extra patrols in coastal areas, Julie Wenth, Norfolk Constabulary's Assistant Chief Constable, said the switch to minimise travel rather than stay at home means police enforcement powers would be reduced. Monday, March the 29th is due to be the next stage in the government roadmap out of coronavirus restrictions. With the stay at home instruction eased, and people able to meet in groups of up to six outdoors. While latest figures show coronavirus rates in Norfolk dropped by 23% in the space of seven days, there are fears they could rise again once people start mixing more. And Miss Wenth urged people to be cautious and sensible as to where they go, with the easing coinciding with the Easter holidays and forecast good weather. She said, from Monday, we won't see stay local guidance from the government. We are likely to see a minimised travel direction. As we have said before, this is guidance and not regulations. So we will not be able to enforce in relation to it. We would ask our communities to be sensible and consider if their journey is necessary. There is no definition of local and I would stress the guidance is to minimise travel so we are asking people to be sensible in their approach. After living under strict measures for almost three months, impending easing of restrictions will of course come as a relief to many with people able to travel a little further and get outside a bit more. However, we must equally acknowledge there will be people who remain fearful about areas in our county being swamped with visitors at a time when social distancing remains vital in helping to prevent the spread of this virus. The best way of protecting ourselves and others is to be sensible and cautious. If we all continue to adhere to social distancing guidelines, then as a county, we will have the best chance of keeping infection rates and deaths low. If the government confirms it can move to the next stage of its roadmap from Monday, it will mean outdoor gatherings, including in private gardens, of either six people or two households will be allowed. 
visits to outdoor sports facilities such as tennis and basketball courts and open-air swimming pools and people will be able to take part in formally organised outdoor sports. The stay-at-home rule will end but people should continue to work from home where they can and minimise the number of journeys they make where possible. Travel abroad will continue to be banned other than for a small number of permitted reasons. Miss Wentz said, people should continue to work from home where they can and minimise the number of overall journeys they make, avoiding busy travel times and routes wherever possible. She said there would be extra police patrols about in the county, particularly over Easter. She said, with lockdown rules easing, our policing approach will also adapt to reflect these changes. Our approach will be continue to follow the four E's, with officers engaging, explaining and encouraging adherence in the first instance, with enforcement used as a last resort. COVID-19 case rates in Norfolk have dropped, down to 30.1 cases per 100,000 people in the seven days up to March the 20th, a fall of about 23% on the week before. The number of outbreaks, defined as two or more linked cases across schools, colleges, care homes and businesses has also dropped, down to 127 as of Tuesday, March the 23rd, compared to 148 a week ago. Of these, 21 are in schools, upon 16 the previous week, but not a surprise to public health bosses given the increased testing regime since all pupils returned to the classroom. As of Tuesday, there were just 20 patients with COVID-19 being treated in the county's hospitals, nine fewer than the previous week. But Dr Louise Smith, Norfolk County Council's Director of Public Health, said more mixing could see cases go up again. She said, current COVID cases rates in Norfolk are 30.1 per 100,000, which is down 23% on the previous week. That's really encouraging news, but as we know from last year, the reduction in cases can slow down or rise again as more people mix. The way forward is clear. Following the rules, accepting your vaccination when you are invited and being tested up to twice a week if you're going to work, school, college or visiting people in care homes. The deaths of four more people who had tested positive for COVID-19 took the number of Norfolk hospital patients with the virus who have died since the start of the pandemic to 1,587. Miss Proctor said, this has been a solemn week as we remember those who have died during the first year of the pandemic. But there are clear signs of hope for the future as cases decline and the vaccination programme continues to be successfully rolled out. It's definitely safer to meet people outdoors, but it's still important that we follow the rules, like hands, face, space and avoid making unnecessary journeys. The rules are there for a reason, we need to continue to drive COVID rates down if we're going to maintain our progress towards a more normal life and avoid the need for future lockdowns. As Proctor said, 
people should consider if it was necessary to travel. He said, it's going to be a gradual move forward as the roadmap indicates. The key to this is the stay at home message has been dropped, but it's all now about what you can do sensibly. We can't stop people doing things, but I think what we're trying to say is, do you have to? There will be a time to go on more outings to the coast and so forth, but now it's not quite the time. But the other side of it is, how can you say to people, you can't do that? It's about common sense and use of judgment. I would hate to see the COVID case rates start to rise because of totally inappropriate behavior. If it is a nice day and everyone congregates on the beach, that would be a disaster. Number of COVID jabs given in Norfolk and Waveney hits six week high. The number of coronavirus jabs administered Norfolk and Waveney during the latest period has reached a six week high. Fresh data published by NHS England shows 59,879 vaccines were given to patients in the seven days up to March the 21st. That's up from 37,561 last week and just 35,253 in the week up to 7th of March, a low which health bosses put down to a decline in vaccine supply. The new figures serve as a welcome boost ahead of April when availability is expected to drop due to a delay in shipments. This week's total is the highest since the seven days ending February the 7th, when more than 60,000 shots were administered. Another 51,399 people across Norfolk and Waveney have received initial doses, while 8,480 were given second injections and are now fully vaccinated. More than 32,000 patients in the area have already received second jabs, a total which is to rise rapidly in the coming weeks as the programme moves into its fifth month. With 60.7% of its adult population having been given first doses, 516,879 in all, Norfolk and Waveney still has the fifth highest vaccination rate in the country. When it comes to the proportion of under 55s given a vaccine, the area is third on the national list with 25.6%. On Thursday, Norfolk and Waveney CCG, which has been leading the rollout, clarified that vaccination clinics were not supposed to be offering jabs to younger groups until given permission to do so. Instead, they must wait for NHS England, the government and the JCVI to officially move the programme into its next phase, during which the remaining 21 million people under the age of 50 with no medical conditions will be invited for appointments. The majority of those under 50 who have received shots already are either frontline health and care workers or have seriously underlying health conditions. Broken down by local authority, North Norfolk is top of the pile across the entire country, with almost two thirds, 66.1%, having had at least one jab so far. 
East Suffolk ranks 8th, 62.8%, while Norwich is way down in 262nd place, 41.5% out of 312 districts. Fears seaside master plans could turn neighbours into rivals. Master plans are being created over two seaside towns amid fears they could reignite old rivalries and set communities against each other. Gorston and Great Yarmouth will each be the focus of separate, politically balanced working parties looking into how they could evolve and crucially draw down funding. But the proposal from Grain Plant during an online meeting of the Borough Council's powerful Policy and Resources Committee on Tuesday drew criticism that it could be divisive. Mr Plant argued against a bid for a single working group with seven members looking at both resorts, saying that while they both had a seafront, Gorsons was much more local with a different demographic. He said two would be better, one for each side of the river. Tony Wright tagged the proposal as absolutely ridiculous, speaking up for a one-borough approach. He said other organisations like the BID and Tourist Authority didn't split themselves and that having separate working parties would be extra work for under-pressure officers, adding, do not separate them. Trevor Wainwright said that any working group would be capable of looking at the distinct needs of each area without the need for two. This is ludicrous, he said. We should be looking at things as a whole. I represent Magdalen Ward, but I'm very interested in what goes on at the seafront. It will set Galston against Yarmouth. We are only asking for members to attend a working group. Now we're having a big debate about if we can have two. Mr Plant, however, said Gorston needed its own strategy. Gorston is a town in waiting, he said. It wants us to do something. The people of Gorston feel they have a voice, finally. During the discussion, some members said people on the doorstep said Yarmouth had priority over Gorston. It was pointed out there had been investment along the prom with the splash pad, but areas like the riverside and pier needed sprucing up. Being in private ownership made tackling those areas more difficult, but a master plan could help deliver success and the kind of funding that had been drawn down via the town deal, over £20 million. It was resolved there would be two working parties made up of five members each that would report to the Policy and Resources Committee. Hotel excited to reopen with new terrace, but neighbours are unimpressed. A Galston hotel is turning unruly shrubland into an outdoor seating area ahead of reopening, but elderly neighbours overlooking the site say it will spoil their quality of life. The Cliff Hotel first announced plans to improve the hotel inside and out last September when they began clearing the space in front of neighbouring retirement complex Grenfell Court. 
After planting a row of hedging at the back of the clifftop area, the space was left untouched for months. However, activity has resumed, with the hotel releasing more information about the project they hope will turn 2021 into a bumper year. In a statement, the hotel spokesperson said, We are sprucing up our main terrace ready for April the 12th but something else we have been working on is the area to the right of this. With such amazing views of Gorston's beautiful beach, we hope to use this area as extra seating. We have removed the old grass, waste and shrubland and are in the process of laying down artificial grass for a cleaner, modern look. Residents of the over 55s Housing Association, however, are feeling more anxious than excited. Odette Martin, 60, moved to Grenfell Court specifically for the view, alongside her husband Mike as part of a London-based retirement relocation scheme. Great Yarmouth Borough Council has already said there is no high hedges legislation allowing it to intervene with the hotel's tree planting. However, it did say it was working with the owner to establish whether planning permission was needed for the terrace. This is due to the government's increasing relaxation of planning legislation to support recovery of the hospitality sector. We totally understand that the cliff is a business, Miss Martin said, but our homes will be directly overlooking this terrace and we're terrified about such an invasion of privacy. On top of that, the hedges restrict our view, and this is only going to get worse as they grow taller. Most of us are housebound, severely disabled or terminally ill. We rely on peace, quiet, and especially the view as a community in the summer. We sit out there together, and that's what keeps us going. Lillian Warman, 84, has cancer and limited mobility. She lives next door to the cliff and says the terrace will be roughly five yards from her back windows. I know that the people of Gorson will welcome this change and for them it will be nice, but we're the ones who have to live right beside it and we can't get away from it, she explained. A council spokesperson said any noise or antisocial behaviour complaints linked to the hotel after April the 12th would be investigated and dealt with. We'll have more of your local news in just a while. Meanwhile, most of the media has been looking back as we mark the anniversary of the first lockdown. Well, we can play that game as we celebrate a full calendar year of our online edition. We were suddenly thrown into the deep end, and this is how we responded. Hello and welcome to Grapevine, brought to you by the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. This is volume 40, number 13, recorded on the 27th of March, 2020. In the news this week, the Volunteer Army is on the march. 
a new sculpture trail for the town. What Market Gates is doing to keep its customers safe. And the Haven Bridge will be closed to vehicles for part of this coming Monday. Normally at this time would be saying plus the notice board, letters, etc, etc. But as you're well aware, we're unable to use our studio at the moment. And so what we're doing is producing this special version just for you. I'm Graham, your presenter for this week. And uh, I'm joined by Aileen. I know Aileen was on last week, but she's the, uh, she's the person who's trying out this new scheme that we've got for an interim period. She's going to do a marathon news reading session and plus she's found some other bits and pieces that you may well enjoy. So we'll start off with the first part of the news. The news items this week are going to be taken from the week that ends on the 27th of March. Not much good news, I'm afraid, although, as always, I do try to find some good news. This week, um, schools have been in lockdown and one of the... Great Yarmouth High Schools has a different situation. At Lingrove Academy, part of the Creative Education Trust, the changes means pupil numbers have dropped considerably. Following Boris Johnson's stay inside instruction, which sees almost everything in daily life off limits, more key worker parents and those whose children are considered vulnerable have pulled them out of school, leaving the schools with uncertain numbers. Principal Alison Mobb said there are almost as many staff as children, with three senior managers, three teachers, two learning support assistants, as well as admin and catering staff, although they were going to look to reduce the numbers as the pupils attending were ranged between 15 and 30. Overall, she said the measures that have been put in place to help children learn remotely were actually going very well. The 15 children in school were all from across all year groups and were being socially distanced. The day is still starting in traditional fashion with an assembly, but the main challenge is at lunchtime. To offset the chance of getting them too close to the children, they were being shown about a movie over half an hour whilst they waited. They are being supervised but not actually taught, using the same online resources as those students who are at home. The school is sticking to the same timetabled break, with everyone enjoying a whole school socially distanced walk round the field in the sunshine. Miss Mobbs said the feedback had been mainly positive, with most parents pleasantly surprised at how much learning could go on at a distance. There had been some problems getting online and accessing the systems for those at home, but Miss Mobbs said everyone would get used to the new ways of working. The at-home children were logging on to their own schedules, one even submitting work at midnight. She said some parents have said how much their children like working at their own pace. It's really early days and goodness knows what this will feel like further down the line. This could go on for quite a long time and we're all getting to get better at doing it. What is really important is that children establish some sort of routine. 
Great Yarmouth Charter Academy confirmed it was open and had a few students in school. A spokesman for Ormiston Venture Academy in Galston and Flegg High Ormiston Academy in Martham said its numbers were low and that it was pleased p- parents were following government guidelines. There we are, the start of our socially distanced run of Grapevine. Still sounds pretty much the same and for that matter, so does the news. Okay, more news in a moment, but before that, here's some news especially for you. For the week starting the 30th of March, Vision Norfolk, previously known as the Norfolk and Norwich Association for the Blind, will be advertising using their minibus as a mobile unit around the county. In Great Yarmouth, the minibus will be on the marketplace on Tuesday the 30th of March from 10am to 12 noon, Tuesday the 6th of April from 12 noon until 2pm, Thursday the 22nd of April from 10am to noon, and Thursday the 29th of April from 12 noon until 2pm. From the 19th of April, if the restrictions are relaxed, they will be able to have a staff member or volunteer on board and engage with as many people as possible and if appropriate, demonstrate some small pieces of equipment. They would also like this opportunity to encourage people to keep their eye clinic appointments. If anyone is struggling with the long waiting lists, they would like them to know that they are here to support them, whether they are registered or not. Please phone 01603 573 000 that's 01603-573-000 or email office at visionnorfolk, all one word, dot org dot uk. So that's office at visionnorfolk dot org dot uk. Vision Norfolk has the two ends in the middle. So it's V-I-S-I-O-N-N-O-R-F-O-L-E. K, office at visionnorfolk.org.uk for any queries. As you would expect, they're adhering with the government guidelines for this project, and all volunteers and staff members helping with this project will wear appropriate PPE, have access to hand sanitizer, and adhere to the social distancing rules advised by the government at the time of the project. We'll remind you of the dates during the following few weeks. Here's Margaret with the second part of this week's offering, followed very closely by another of her nostalgic trips to the 1960s. Section of A47 to close overnight for two weeks. A stretch of the A47 will close overnight for two weeks for resurfacing work. Highways England will be carrying out maintenance and repairs on the four-mile section of the carriageway between North Burlingham and Acol. The job will take approximately two weeks from Monday April the 19th to Friday April the 30th on weeknights only between the hours of 8pm and 6am subject to weather conditions. 
The work will also involve replacing faded road markings and studs and diversions will be in place. Eastbound traffic will be diverted off the A47 at Trous Newton via the A146 to Gillingham to then following the A143 to Beckles before rejoining the A47 at the Shrublands Way Junction. The westbound version is the same route but in reverse. New bid to replace £595,000 seafront house with striking family home. A new bid to demolish an outdated seafront home and replace it with a modern one is being looked at by planners. Under the scheme, number 17 Marine Parade Galston will face the wrecking ball and instead a three-family home described as light and modern will take its place. Papers submitted in support of the bid say the applicants currently live next door at number 69A and would be moving into their dream home. Permission to demolish the house and build two new ones on the plot was initially refused, but granted following an appeal in 2018. The new proposal involves replacing the outdated house, which was last sold in October for £595,000 with a single six-bedroom home. A new garage and home office is also proposed for number 69A. Similar bids have already been approved at numbers 50 and 45 along Marine Parade, one of the borough's most exclusive addresses. Again, the proposal is for a modern style house using a popular palette of greys and maximising sea views with glazing, sliding doors and balconies. The plans say the old four bedroom house is outdated and ripe for replacement with something high quality and modern. If approved, the new house will be set over three floors with a single storey flat roofed garden room at the back. A design and access statement prepared by the Paul Robinson Partnership says the new house will be compatible and sympathetic to its setting. The papers add, one good sized detached dwelling per plot is typical of Marine Parade. Therefore, our proposals for a single replacement dwelling is much more in keeping with the street scene than the previous consent for two dwellings and represents a more balanced approach to maintaining the character of the area. There is a fantastic opportunity to capture wide open views to the sea from high level and create a wonderful home which can truly take advantage of the stunning and enchanting setting. We strongly believe the proposal will lift the area and overall street scene and is the right architectural response for its occupants and the local area. At number 45 Marine Parade, where a similar scheme is set to replace an older style home was approved, it wasn't without its detractors. Neighbours said what was being proposed had no sense of place and it was grossly unfair that someone else's dream home should have a detrimental effect on the lives of others. Similarly, the new designs for number 50 were criticised for being office-like and an eyesore.
Bid to convert 150-year-old pub into convenience store. A 150-year-old pub in Galston could be converted into a convenience store after trade there was deemed unviable. The Albion, at the corner of Lowstoft Road and Lower Cliff Road in Galston, has been licensed since at least 1884, but in recent years has seen a decline in sales. And while the venue was planning to open next month, subject to government regulations, its current owners, Punch Partnerships, have applied to Great Yarmouth Borough Council to change the use of existing premises to a retail store, as well as building an extension to the rear. The venue is a detached two-storey building sitting in a mostly residential area, with some business and retail, including a Chinese takeaway, convenience store and bike shop nearby. A document supporting the application states the location of the proposed shop would encourage residents to shop locally and reduce the need to travel to out-of-town supermarkets as the area is poorly served by convenience stores. It also says the property is unattractive and in a state of disrepair. While the pub employs five full-time staff, the convenience store would have three full-time and 17 part-time workers, and a car park would provide 19 spaces. The application also includes a report by a surveyor from real estate company Savills into the viability of the pub, which notes the general trend at the venue that relies heavily on local regulars has been declining. Businesses such as the one run at the Albion have been unable to compete in the current market due to the lack of food offering and declining wet sales, the surveyor says. Business has been struggling for some time. It says the pub has an extremely small kitchen and it would take a leap of faith from an operator to create a viable food service. The report concludes that the Albion would struggle to attract additional trade, even if refurbished, and that it was not viable as a business in both the short and the long term. The applicant states that the loss of the pub would not be an issue, as there are 12 other pubs within an 800 metre radius of the site. A decision is expected by April the 21st. Punch Partnerships Managing Director Andy Spencer said, We are in regular communication with our publican and we are working together positively and supporting him during this period. The Albion will reopen outdoors in April, subject to government guidelines. Ten projects Great Yarmouth is spending £20 million town deal cash on. Ten projects have been outlined as of immediate importance for investment from a £20 million windfall in Great Yarmouth. In the budget earlier this month, Chancellor Rishi Sunak confirmed that the town had secured £20.1 million of its town deal bid. The grant was discussed at a meeting of the Policy and Resources Committee of Great Yarmouth Borough Council on Tuesday, March 23rd. A report to the councillors stated that the projects in the town plan 
initially costing £24.8 million, will now need to be refreshed and prioritised to enable completion within the amount of funding available from the government. The Council will now either reduce the scale, cost and scope of particular projects or reduce the amount of funds sought for certain projects and identify alternative funding sources. Here's the list of the 10 immediate investment priorities. Number one, O&M Campus. An offshore energy campus is to be located at the entrance of the River Yare on land belonging to the Borough Council and Peel Ports near the Southern North Sea Offshore Energy Developments. Number two, North Quay Regeneration. A multi-million pound redevelopment of the 4.07 hectare North Quay to the east of the River Yare and south of Fuller's Hill Roundabout, which in its current state largely comprises a mixture of light industrial and commercial buildings, yards and car parks and areas of cleared land. Number three, new Great Yarmouth University. A learning hub in the former Palmer's Stroke Beals store would see a relocated library sharing space with students on undergraduate courses affiliated with the University of Suffolk and potentially the University of East Anglia, as well as East Coast College and East Norfolk Sixth Form College as partners. Number four, the Winter Gardens. One of just 12 projects shortlisted to apply for a share of £50 million from a National Lottery Heritage Fund with £9.9 million sought, this hopes to save, restore and reimagine the Winter Gardens at the heart of the town as a year-round visitor attraction which makes the most of the unique building, its seafront location and its horticultural heritage. Number five, restoration of vacant historical buildings. Great Yarmouth Preservation Trust is restoring three buildings. 160 King Street, a 16th century timber frame building, the Northwest Tower, once part of the medieval wall and to be restored as holiday accommodation, and St John's Church, a Grade II listed building on Lancaster Road and York Road, hoping to open as a hub of creative industries and conservation skills. Number six, the Ice House. Plans have been submitted by arts charity Sea Change Arts to repurpose this landmark building on Southtown Road on the bank of the River Yare as a hub for all things circus, including training and fabricating apparatus. Number seven, seafront to town centre connectivity. The Borough Council is currently working with Norfolk County Council to develop a local cycling and walking infrastructure plan to support and guide future investment in sustainable modes of transport. There are aspirations to implement two key schemes to connect the two commercial poles of the seafront and town centre with new and enhanced cycling and walking routes. Number eight, public wayfinding. Signage has been upgraded to help guide people around the town centre 
seafront bus and railway stations. Further wayfinding improvements are planned. Number nine, the railway station. Physical enhancements to the railway station built in the 1960s to improve the accessibility and attractiveness of a key point of entry for commuters and visitors. And last but not least, number 10. Enhanced digital and connectivity infrastructure. The council is currently rolling out free public Wi-Fi within the marketplace. Woman shares lockdown cancer diagnosis and urges others to get test. A woman being treated for cancer is urging others not to put off having their cervical screening test due to fear or embarrassment or thinking they're too young to be affected. Leanne Shields said she would rather have 10 smear tests than go through the trauma of treatment, including multiple rounds of chemotherapy and radiotherapy after being diagnosed with a disease on her 29th birthday in October last year. Miss Shields said she ignored a cervical screening test invitation aged 25 and is urging others to learn from her experience and just get it done. The holiday park worker who lives in Borough Castle does not yet know the outcome of her treatment, which has triggered the menopause and means she will not be able to have children. Currently, testing starts at the age of 25. If Miss Shields had had the smear test in the time frame the NHS recommends, the cancer may have been picked up then or at her second test at the age of 28. As it was, she suffered vague stomach pains for at least a year, leading to multiple visits to her GP. Her symptoms escalated in summer 2020 when she was booked in for a smear test. By that time, she had a seven centimetre tumour that had probably been growing for some time. Within two weeks, she had been transferred to the Norfolk and Norwich Hospital and had a treatment plan in place, including five rounds of chemotherapy and 28 days of radiotherapy, all undertaken alone due to the COVID pandemic. It was followed by a week of gruelling brachytherapy, a type of internal radiotherapy. She said at times she had felt so ill and low, she's not wanted to go on and wanted to make sure women understood what having cancer felt like before putting off their test and weighing up the consequences, including infertility. She won't get the all clear for five years and faces numerous scans and worried waits for results to see if the tumour has shrunk or spread. I should have gone at 25, but I was embarrassed and scared, she said. Women need to know a smear test is nothing to worry about. Miss Shields has also become anemic and needed five blood transfusions. As well as feeling constantly tired, sick and dizzy, she lost 2.5 stone. Meanwhile, she has hailed the oncology team at the Norfolk and Norwich Hospital as amazing, saying there were no delays to her treatment despite the pandemic. Everyone has just been so supportive, she said. Miss Shields, an accommodation coach at the Wild Duck Holiday Park in Borough Castle, also praised her employer for checking in on her every day. 
She said that by sharing her story, she hoped other women, especially those who thought they were too young, would realise the implications of delaying or missing a test. Cervical screening is offered every three years for women aged 25 to 49 and every five years for those aged 50 to 64. It checks for cell changes in the cervix which could be a sign of cancer. The test itself should take less than a few minutes and is usually done by a female nurse or a doctor. It is estimated that screening saves around 4,500 lives a year in England by picking up the early signs of cancer before symptoms are felt. If just one person hears this, then decides to book their test, that will be a result. I just want to be able to help, she added. Pregnant woman's heartache after husband's sudden death. A woman has shared her heartache after her husband died suddenly when she was six months pregnant. Emma Smith, 31, and husband Gary G. Smith were thrilled to discover they were going to have another child and had picked out a name for the much-wanted son they were looking forward to meeting in June. However, just as she would be preparing for the new baby, Mrs Smith is having to plan a funeral and face the prospect of their child growing up without ever meeting his doting dad. Mrs Smith said her husband had had a terrible headache in the days leading up to his death and had been taking morphine prescribed for a bad back. He took to wearing dark glasses indoors, but declared himself much better on the Friday, even managing to paint the new baby's room. He then began complaining of severe stomach pain, something that had bothered him from time to time, but doctors had never got to the bottom of what was causing it. On the Saturday, she awoke to the sounds of clattering in the bathroom and found him fitting on the floor, a scene witnessed by his daughter and stepdaughter who came running through. The ambulance arrived at their home in Beckles Road, Bradwell within minutes and Mr Smith was taken to hospital but had another seizure and died the next day on Mother's Day, March the 14th, aged 39. The cause of death was given as a brain aneurysm. Mrs Smith said her husband of nine years had been really excited about the new baby and also his 40th milestone birthday in May. Having always wanted to go to Vegas, he knew he wouldn't get there this year but hoped to in the future. She said that while everything had changed, she was trying to keep things as normal as possible for their seven-year-old daughter Dulcie and her sister Maisie, aged 11. He was a proper family man, hard-working and would do anything for anyone, she said. She hailed the support of friends and family, saying everyone had been so kind, dropping shopping off and making food for them. Mr Smith was a plasterer with his own business, and the plan was to keep that going with his co-worker. In the meantime, there were practical and financial worries on top of the heartbreak. Friend Kelly Nichols had set up a Just Giving page to help the family with basic bills and rent in the immediate aftermath of Gary's death. Writing on the website, she described him as a top bloke 
and a doting father to two daughters and an unborn son. She said, it was a day we never saw coming, especially as Gary and Emma were due to meet their new son in less than three months time. An awful shock on a most terrible day that family and friends are struggling to come to terms with. An awful shock that sees three children without a doting father. An awful shock for a wife who's lost her soulmate. To make a donation, visit Just Giving and search Gary G. Smith. A target of £3,000 has been set. A brain aneurysm is a bulge in a blood vessel caused by a weakness in the blood vessel wall, usually where it branches. If it ruptures, the bleeding can cause death and extensive brain damage. Symptoms include a sudden agonising headache and blinding pain, a stiff neck, sickness and vomiting, and pain at looking at light. Well, I'm off now to meander my way through the Mercury and I'm revisiting March 1962. So, <laughs> the memory box, here we go. Now, where would you spend your hard-earned wages in March 1962? Well, for entertainment, you could go to the Regent Cinema and watch John Wayne in The Comancheros, The Empire Had Marlon Brando in On the Waterfront, and the good old Collie in Gorston had Elvis Presley in Flaming Star. The Floral Hall had old-time nights on Thursdays, admission two and sixpence. And of course, on Saturdays, it was Modern Night, the haunt of my teenage years. Admission four and six, and late transport. Now, if you wanted to venture further afield, Seaforth's travel agents were offering eight-day coach tours to Belgium, Holland and France for 32 guineas or fly to Parma, 15 days for 35 guineas. How exotic was that? Well, it was to me back then. <laughs> A bit nearer home, Norfolk Motor Services had coaches going to the Ideal Home Exhibition and that would cost you 18 and threepence. And property now. A three-bedroom house on Stafford Road would cost you £1,050 and advertised there was a country residence in Rowlesby. Three beds, two reception, kitchen and two poultry houses. £3,750. Now if you fancied having four wheels to show off in, a 1958 Ford console Mark II in black and lilac Heater and overriders, whatever they were, £425. A 1958 Austin A35 with screen washers, £335. A 1953 Ford Zephyr with heater and radio, £225. And a 1955 Armstrong Sidley Sapphire Automatic, again with a heater, £345. Atkinson's were offering a Norman Nippy moped for £17.10. Now the only advert I saw for a brand new car 
Watsons were selling a six-cylinder, six-seater Vauxhall Cresta, leather or nylon upholstery, heater, clock, screen wash, etc. for the princely sum of £984, two and ninepence. Can you believe it? Now, looking back in the mists of time, now I passed my driving test in 1964 and became the proud owner of a Ford Popular in black and I seem to remember I parted with £150 of my savings and my worst nightmare was going over Haven Bridge to visit friends in Galston. It just seemed so busy. <laughs> God, there were the days. Right, a bit of culture now to raise the tone. Joseph Cooper gave a piano recital at the Yarmouth College of Art in the series Music for the Ordinary Man. Music included works by Beethoven, Bach and Chopin. Now was that the same Joseph Cooper who used to play a dummy piano on that musical quiz programme on TV with Joyce Grenfell and Robin Ray? I have vague memories of that. Anyway, at the time he was playing his piano, this young uncultured Margaret was jiving the night away at the Havenbridge Hotel Saratoga Jazz Club, listening to the Collegians and Colin Burley all for one shilling. And to finish with, the headline in March 1962 was North End No Place for Stuffers and Gorgers. The North End of Yarmouth Front was a place for people who wanted to get away from the smell of food. For those who did not want to be consistently stuffing and gorging, declared the Mayor-elect at a meeting of the Beaches, Parks, Gardens and Cemeteries Committee. He said there were quite enough gastric obscenities on the South Front to satisfy most people. He was opposing an application for a refreshment stall at the junction of Barnard Avenue, Angelico Road and North Drive. Phew, strong words. <laughs> Quite awful, I thought, but that was of the time. Well, what were we listening to way back in 1962? Twisting the Night Away by Sam Cooke? Clinton Ford? Fanlight Fanny? Yes, I do remember that. And the shadows, wonderful land. Oh, my lost youth.
The Shadows There and Wonderful Land. In actual fact, we have got a copy of Clinton Ford's Fanlight Fanny, but apart from having a loud background hum, it's also very much not politically correct by today's standards, and in fact really quite rude, so we decided to give that one a miss. OK, the third part of the news beckons, so off we go. Reopening of Seaside Steps moves closer nine years after landslip. Some nine years after a landslip shut one half of a Victorian set of steps, plans are being prepared to fully restore them. The state of the white line steps connecting Cliff Hill and Beach Road has long been a source of local frustration. A landslip in April 2012 narrowly missed a 12-year-old boy and one side has been blocked off ever since. Norfolk County Council, as owner of the steps, confirmed in September 2015 it would be backing away from recovering costs to pay for repairs from a developer working nearby as the process was becoming too expensive. However, the council's deputy leader, Graham Plant, said new funding pots had become available, making the prospect of a full repair more likely. He said with the legal action at an impasse and with pressure mounting from residents, he was asking for another survey which would give an indication of the costs involved. Estimated at at least £200,000 some years ago. The work was complex because of land ownership issues and the difficulty sloping topography as well as the practices of Victorian workmen building without foundations. Reinstating both sides would mean bringing them up to modern standards and would require the expertise of bridge builders familiar with shoring up structures. This is about putting something back Gorston people feel they've lost, he said. The legal challenge can only continue once they've been reinstated, then at least we will have a figure. There was a point in the past when the funding was not there. We are now in a different place where we could possibly get grants and I will be going to each one of them. Resident Ron Upton said the steps were an absolute disgrace. The therapist and foster carer who lives in Cliff Hill has kept up the pressure for some years, garnering support on social media. He said the steps were in a conservation area and were a much needed link from top to bottom. As well as looking awful and presenting a poor image to visitors, the steps were also historically valuable and an amenity. He added he was stunned by the depth of feeling locally, with many echoing his calls to restore the major feature, also home to Admiral Duncan's pump, which dates from the Napoleonic era. Norfolk launches massive push to vaccinate remaining over 50s. Norfolk and Waveney is launching a massive push this weekend to vaccinate all remaining people in priority groups. Whilst 54% of the region's adult population have already received the COVID vaccine, a new drivers targeting the remaining people aged over 50 
and in other priority groups who have not already booked an appointment. Around 88% of over 50s in Norfolk and Waveney have already received the first dose of the vaccine, but it has seen a drop-off in the number of coronavirus vaccines administered. Health leaders are urging the rest to come forward by the end of this month to ensure they can be vaccinated before Norfolk and Waveney Clinical Commission Group, CCG, gives the go-ahead to open up appointments to younger people in the near future. Dr Anup Desi, clinical chair and local GP, said, We want to ensure that as many people are able to access a vaccination at their earliest convenience, as it is one of the key things people can do to protect themselves and others. We're also keen that anyone over the age of 16 who is clinically extremely vulnerable that hasn't yet had or booked their vaccine to contact their GP practice. Following the success of the Beckles drop-in clinic last Sunday, the vaccination programme is being altered to encourage people wanting to turn up for a weekend slot without having to make an appointment. New additional clinics are also being set up to manage the expected demand for vaccinations this weekend. At Cromer Hospital, new weekly vaccination clinics start this Saturday, March the 27th. Book online in advance or just turn up between 10am and 2pm. A drop-in vaccination service with no appointment will also take place at the James Paget Hospital in Galston on Sunday, March the 28th, 9am to 4pm. Meanwhile, in West Norfolk, there will be a drop-in vaccination service at the Inspire Centre at Queen Elizabeth Hospital and another at Downham Market Town Hall. No appointments are necessary. Kath Byford, Norfolk and Waveney CCG Chief Nurse, said, We know that midweek, daytime appointments won't suit everyone, so we have ramped up our weekend clinics and are providing walk-in vaccinations with no appointment necessary. It's important that we get as many first doses done as possible before the expected short-term dip in vaccine supply. Axing PCSOs, one of the hardest but most important decisions of Chief's tenure. Norfolk's outgoing Chief Constable has described the axing of police community support officers PCSOs as one of the hardest but most important decisions he had made. Simon Bailey, the first person to have risen from Beat Bobby to Chief Constable in the same force in the country in modern times, will retire in June after eight years as Chief Constable and 35 years with the force. Mr Bailey, 56, said it had been a privilege and an honour to have led the constabulary during which time he has faced many challenges, including policing during the coronavirus pandemic. But he has highlighted the scrapping of PCSOs as both the hardest and most important decision of his tenure. Speaking after the announcement he is to retire on June the 30th, Mr Bailey said, The hardest decision I've had to make was to stand in front of 150 people and tell them their jobs were going to be put at risk. But actually, that's one of the most important decisions I've made, 
and I still think it's one of the best decisions I've made. The move away from the model of policing with PCSOs now means we've got more officers tackling crime and serious organised crime than we've ever had, and they are doing it to devastating effect. Norfolk's Police and Crime Commissioner Lorne Green, who himself stands down later this year, thanked Mr Bailey for his dedication and a commitment to deliver the best in policing for our county. He said, Mr Bailey has been an inspirational and courageous leader with a clear vision on how to refashion policing in Norfolk to meet the challenges of the 21st century. His 2020 programme for change has made our constabulary one of the best in the country and he is recognised locally, regionally and nationally as one of the top police officers. His national leadership over many years on Operation Hydrant, addressing issues of child sexual abuse, has been nothing short of exceptional. He will leave the force in a strong position as one of the few recognised nationally as outstanding for efficiency, a legacy of which he can be proud and one that will enable his successor to continue to ensure Norfolk Constabulary maintains its reputation for excellent. Mr Bailey said the time was right for him to move on, but wanted to reflect on his time in charge of the force, including on retirement, he said, I'm really proud of the fact I'm the first police officer in history to have served every rank in the same force. That's probably one of the things I'm most proud of. On achievements, I'm most proud of the ongoing evolution of the organisation. The organisation I'm going to leave at the end of June looks and feels very different to the organisation I took over in 2013. I'm incredibly proud of what I'm going to be leaving behind. Mr Bailey is National Police Lead for Child Protection and said he was also proud of the work he had done nationally in helping to safeguard children. On drugs, Mr Bailey said the force had seen amazing success in tackling County Lines drug dealing in Norfolk, both through Operation Gravity and the link with the Metropolitan Police, codenamed Orochi, which has seen the drug lines taken out at source. He also hailed the potential impact of Operation Adder, which sees Norwich as one of five areas picked as a pilot project combining targeted policing with better treatment and recovery service for addicts. Coronavirus. Mr Bailey said the force had dealt with it exceptionally, adding that officers were having to deal with their own concerns while trying to keep others safe. He said they had done an amazing job which had been welcomed by communities across Norfolk. On future and family. Mr Bailey said he definitely wants to carry on working within the field of vulnerability and child protection. He said he was interested in doing something in academia, but he also wanted to spend more time with his wife, two children and three grandchildren. He said, it would be nice to have a life not dominated by my work. It means I'll be able to spend time with my wife, who has been the most amazing support to me. Man who started dealing drugs after losing job, jailed for 28 months. 
A man who claimed he had started drug dealing after losing his job was told by a judge that he had now learned a lesson about the damage drugs cause. Jack Adams, 27, was found by police to have been dealing cocaine after he was stopped in a car in Great Yarmouth on June the 9th, 2020. Martin Lahif, prosecuting, said five wraps of cocaine were seized along with two mobile phones and £590 in cash. He said a further search of Adam's home recovered another £480 in cash and messages found on his phone showed he had been dealing drugs between March and June last year. Mr Lahif said there was a number of messages indicating there were drug deals. Mr Lahif said that Adams had admitted his guilt at an early opportunity to police. Adams of Palgrave Road, Great Yarmouth, admitting possession of Class A drugs with intent to supply and was jailed for 28 months. Recorder John Bate Williams told Adams he accepted he had started dealing after he lost his job and had a cocaine habit at the time. You have learnt a strong lesson on how drug use destroys lives. He added that Adams was now full of remorse over his actions and realised the damage drugs can cause to people. He told him, Every day in every Crown Court we see good and useful lives ruined by addiction to hard drugs. He said that on his release it was hoped Adams would make a fresh start. I hope you live a useful life keeping away from drugs. David Stewart for Adams said he had cooperated with the police and expressed his remorse. He has some insight into the damage Class A drugs cause. Mr Stewart said Adams was a skilled worker and had a good work ethic. He said he was now drug free and had the support of his family. Mr Stewart said it was rather sad that he had ended up before the court, having been of previous good character. He said that Adams had taken full responsibility for his actions. Our menu is bigger. Jamaican favourite swap stalls for restaurant. A Jamaican restaurant which built a following of fans as a market stall is gearing up to open its new permanent home to seated customers for the first time. Coral Bay on Baker Street in Galston began trading last month with takeaway and delivery orders and since then has been building up a solid base of customers. The business is run by Conroy and Sarah Robinson who opened the first Coral Bay takeaway in Great Yarmouth's outdoor market in 2017. Last year, they decided to close the stall and open the larger premises instead in the former St John Ambulance Training Building, where they hoped to bring some spice to the coast. Miss Robinson said the stall wasn't feasible, it was too small. The kitchen was quite little and it was difficult to do more than four or five dishes. Our menu in Galston is a lot bigger than it had been in Yarmouth. They make oxtail brown stew chicken and vegetable curry among other dishes. We're looking for staff at the moment and we're looking for a good team in the kitchen and for waiting staff. I need a well-trained barman too, Ms Robertson said. Her husband, Mr Robinson, is originally from Jamaica and learned how to cook from his mother. 
At the age of 24, he moved to the UK and met Sarah in 2007. Whenever the couple cooked for friends and family, they were told they should open a restaurant. Then we saw the market stall in Great Yarmouth for sale, says Miss Robinson. They opened the takeaway in 2017 and two years later a stall on Norwich Market. It's just grown ever since really, said Miss Robinson. Under the current government plan, restaurants and other indoor hospitality venues would be able to open again on May the 17th. From that date, if all goes according to schedule, Coral Bay will be serving food and drink from 8.30am to 10pm Monday to Friday and until 11pm on Saturdays. Oh, and this is a nice story. Brothers send 999 thank you cards to UK ambulance stations. A pair of young brothers from Galston have sent 999 thank you letters to ambulance stations across the UK. Toby and Tommy Hutchinson, aged three and five, began their challenge last November with their local station, not stopping until they had finished by the end of the year. The boys have now started writing to other key workers, including NHS staff and teachers, by sending posters with the message, not all heroes wear capes. The family's connection with ambulances began in 2018, when Toby was taken to hospital five times due to seizures, later resulting in a diagnosis of epilepsy. Since then, the brothers have shown their appreciation to the service by filling goodie bags with biscuits, tea bags, hot chocolate and coffee sachets and leaving them on the door handles of ambulances. When social distancing measures began, they switched to sending the treats by post. The boys have also been leaving paintings of clay and rock ambulances around their hometown for people to find, which they call Norfolk Ninos. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> Those who find the miniatures are invited to keep them or hide them again in the hope they will travel across the country. They are helped by their mother, Lisa, siblings, Alex, Adam, Jamie and Tia, and father, Richard Hutchinson, a car mechanic. Tia, 16, began a charity of her own 10 years ago when she was just six years old. Tia's Treasures launched in 2011, selling handmade jewellery and trinkets to raise thousands of pounds for Cancer for Children charity Click Sargent and the Childhood Eye Cancer Trust. The fundraising began after one of Tia's close friends, Demi, lost her sight to retinoblastoma a tumour behind the eyes. She continues to raise money to this day. Mrs Hutchinson said her children hope their kindness is contagious and that more people will be inspired to participate in random acts of kindness due to their actions. She added that Tommy and Toby's challenge has been made possible by donations of stamps, envelopes and other items by members of the Facebook group hit the ambulance gamers. The group, which was created before the pandemic, encourages people to undertake hits on key workers. In this case means a random act of kindness, such as leaving gifts and cards on emergency vehicles. 
Well, what a lovely way to end the news. Now, before I go, <laughs> I must just read this from my national newspaper that arrived this morning, Hot Cross Buns. And there were different flavoured hot cross buns, would you believe? Um, the best lemon drizzle hot cross buns from Morrison's? Oh, I'm not supposed to advertise, am I? Oh, sorry about that. Anyway, chilli and cheese hot cross buns from Aldi. Extra special tomato and red Leicester hot cross buns from Asda. Taste the different strawberries and cream hot cross buns from Sainsbury's. And St Clement's hot cross buns from Tesco. Now, I'm going to have a rant, so excuse me. Hot cross buns should be as hot cross buns always have been and always should be. But apart from that, if you do have a hot cross bun, because next Friday is Good Friday, just look at a hot cross bun, slather the butter on, don't count the calories because we owe it to ourselves after the year that we've had. So, goodbye from me. Take care, all of you. Keep safe, keep well, and thank you for listening. That's it from this edition of Grapevine. The recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted mainly from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Next week's newsreader will be Aileen, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you once again for much more of your local news and maybe a few eggs thrown in for good measure. In the meantime, from all at Grapevine, we hope that you keep safe and well, and until next week, it's bye for now.